0: Good morning. I welcome any visitors that are here. As usual, we um, suspend our normal studies through whatever books we're going through because of the concert. So, I want to talk to you about the Trinity this morning. But uh, keep Mario in prayer. Um, You know, uh, just pray that 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 growth is uh, benign. That's the main thing that is not malignant. You know, we're all moving to the stage, you know, banana, you have the green, the yellow, and the spotted. Well, where a lot of us are moving to the spotted arena, and that's just part of life. So keep them in prayer. And then for John also, he did good in the surgery. I was there when he got out on Friday, and um, did real good. He had some blood clots in. They removed two of them. There's one left. They're hoping it'll drain. He's a little uncomfortable this morning. Yesterday is great, but everything's wearing off. So just keep him in prayer. And, uh, but you know what's neat? I love the body because when I go visit there's many of you around people. When something happens in this body, people are around people. It's great. They don't need me at all. I, I love it. It's great. So I commend you for that as a body, to be sensitive and to love each other and to be there. The Lord is so good. All right. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your grace and love your goodness. We pray you give us wisdom and knowledge as we look to you. We pray for all these individuals that are sick, Mario and John and others, Lord. And that your hand be upon them. And we thank you for your goodness towards us, Lord, and all that you do. And so, Lord, as we study your word this morning, as we look at the Trinity, give us understanding that only you can turn the light on. And so, Lord, I lift every person to you, Lord, and I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. We're going to run around the Bible. We're going to use the scriptures. But the, the message is entitled... The mystery of the Trinity, and this is part one. Um, we want to look at the Trinity, a doctrine hard to understand by some, and completely denied by others, such as Jehovah Witness and others who deny the Trinity. And yet it's found throughout scriptures, we'll see. The doctrine of the Trinity, very simply put, is the Christian belief that God is comprised of three persons existing eternally, um, in one nature and essence. We don't rationalize these things. We don't make them up. They're found within the Scriptures. Um, the oneness is so real that it flows into the three other persons. Uh, Jesus said, Often I am the Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Um, yet they are distinct in persons, as we'll see, but are one in substance in the fundamental nature of the three persons um, and each of them possess these things they're all knowing, all powerful, all present only Jesus gave up that limited time of being present at all times at the same time for the incarnation for the redemption of man Um, in the study of the nature of God there are two important things about God's nature first is God is spirit Um, Jesus told us to the woman of Samaria in John 4.24 and so God often is described through theophanies, the eye of the Lord, the hand of the Lord. But those are just human descriptions attributed to God so that we may know what he's doing, what is going on in the text. It doesn't mean he really has eyes or hands or a body. Okay? He's a spirit. The second is that God is personal. And we can see that so clearly throughout the scriptures. But maybe John 17, 1 through 3, as Jesus is praying to the Father before he goes to the cross. And that chapter is really the Lord's Prayer because he's praying to the Father that he may be glorified again with the glory which he had before the world was, and he prayed for his disciples, okay, uh, before he goes to the cross. Now, the doctrine of the Trinity falls under the study of the nature of God, and some of you were with us when we did the whole theology and studies about the Trinity, angels, everything else. If not, I would encourage you to get the series. It's important for you to understand. Um, the two other important Aspects of the nature of God are found in the nature of the Trinity. And they are first, unity, and 2nd triunity. tri-unity. And we'll see this clearly. And only God can illuminate the Scriptures to an individual and give that individual understanding regarding the Trinity. In other words, we don't understand the Trinity because we're so smart. Or I don't understand it because I am above you. It's the work of the Spirit of God to those who are born again, who believe what they read in the Bible is God's inspired and errant truth. That though I may not understand everything He says to the ultimate end, the much that I do understand by His grace is sufficient to have me be so confident that what I don't understand completely or to full end doesn't bother me. Because he is trustworthy and he's allowed me to understand so much. Because it's based on the nature and the character of God that God cannot lie. What a great assurance that is. And yet many people have allowed um, their intellect to rob them of their belief in the doctrine of the Trinity. So, let's begin our study by looking at three facets of unity and the trinity and we'll work through it uh, so we can see what the scripture says. First, we're going to look at the mystery of unity and the trinity. So unity and the trinity. Second, we'll see the unity of God and all these will come from the scriptures in their context. And thirdly, we'll look at the nature of divine unity and we'll see the corresponding uh, uh equalness of the Trinity as well as the connecting essence of them. And let's begin with the Trinity of unity in the Trinity. Let's begin with the term mystery. The word mystery in the scripture is used different ways. We uh, normally understand it uh, in, in, in various forms. I, I don't mean something that is um, hidden from us, uh, as much as um, the inability to understand it completely from the rational point of view of reason and logic. And sometimes Christians, um, they they have doubts about the Word of God, so they try to understand the Word of God with human logic and reason because they already come with preconceived ideas about the Scriptures. When you come to the Word of God, you must understand that this is God's Word, and you can absolutely trust it. Uh, men and women who have fought against it, they're gone, and the Bible is still here. That's a great, a great evidence of of who's right and who's wrong. Now, the word mystery, mysterion, is found in the New Testament. It comes from the word, the root is muol, to shut the mouth. And the word mysterion means something previously hidden but now made known. So the key is previously hidden but now made known. Certain things were concealed in the Old Testament in their full understanding, but they have now been revealed in the new. So what was previously hidden or unknown or clearly, whether in part or full end, is now made clearly known in the New Testament to believers. Let me give you some examples of that. Uh, write down Romans eleven twenty-five. It's the mystery of Israel's blindness. I uh, would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, that blindness in part is happening in Israel until the fullness of the Gentile has come in. So the mystery of the blindness of Israel. So there should be no Christian. That mistakens or misunderstands. The mystery of the blindness of Israel. That it is in part. That it will one day be removed. It wasn't clearly revealed in the Old Testament. Paul makes it very very clear. In First 1 Corinthians 15.51. There's the mystery of the resurrection. And the rapture. We shall not all see We shall be changed uh, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. And then Christ arrives first on and so forth. Okay. So in the Old Testament, we knew that the just and the unjust would be risen from the dead. But it was just stated um, in terms of the two distinct resurrections. But there was no time factor involved. There was no nothing. We didn't even know exactly where the just and the unjust went. Did they go to the same place? And the Jesus told us, uh, about Lazarus and the rich man that died and went down to uh, Hades and there was two compartments. So that's another mystery that just noting that previously was not known and it is made clear in the New Testament. So now we are very uh, clear on what type of resurrection the believer will be raised with a body just like Jesus Christ uh, glorified. And we have the evidence clearly in the teaching of the New Testament. There's also the mystery of the lawless one already at work uh but cannot be revealed until the church is removed in uh second thessalonians chapter two verse seven through eight. The lawless one is the man of sin, the Antichrist. And um though he is prophesied all over the Old Testament, it isn't clearly revealed until here in Second Thessalonians two, seven through eight, a passage which if we didn't have it, we would not have this information. That his spirit is at work even till now, as First John says. But um, um, he will clearly be revealed once the church is removed. So there's a time factor that's given to us, absolutely. The context of that is verse 1 of that second chapter. I'm writing to you about the gathering of the saints, the rapture. Because someone had written that the rapture had happened, the tribulation had begun. And Paul said, when I was with you, I told you two things have to happen. A falling away first, a man of sin be revealed. What is the matter with you? So when you interpret verse 7 and 8, you have to do it in the context of verse 1. Our gathering together to him. The rapture. All right? It's very important. So now we know this very clearly. It used to be a mystery. Also, in 2 Corinthians 13, 14, or let me go to First Timothy 3.16. And that's an interesting number. Um, look up in every book. Uh, chapter 3, verse 16, and see how those verses are amazingly, uh, just, it's a great study. I'll just leave it there. It's a great study. 1 Timothy 3, 16, he says, um, one of these mysteries is the Trinity uh, of Paul tells Timothy in the incarnation glorified of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. He says, and without controversy, great is the mystery. Of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Wow, what a mouthful. All that mystery that was hidden is put right in a nutshell. From the beginning to the end. Incredible. God became man, walked among us, died, crucified, glorified for the justification of sinners. Man, what a loaded verse. In 2 Corinthians thirteen fourteen, Paul, in his benediction to the Corinthians, indicates the Trinity. He says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Makes it very, very clear. Paul's desire was that the Colossians would understand the mystery of the Godhead. Revealed in Christ Jesus in Colossians 2, 1 and 3. Because as you know, the false teachers that come in and they, they, they weren't objecting totally to Jesus. They were saying, Jesus okay, you're born again is okay, you can believe him, but there has to be other things. Listen, when anybody, when anybody says Jesus comma something else, get away from them. It's Jesus period. That's it. So listen to what he says here in Colossians 2, 1 through 3. For I want you to know, um, what a great conflict I have for you. And those in Laodicea. So Colossae and Laodicea. The Trilichus Valley. They're there together. For as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. So in other words. Paul had never been there physically. He had written to them. But he had never been there. That their hearts may be encouraged. Being knit together in love. And attaining to all riches. Of the full assurance of understanding. To the knowledge of the mystery of God. Both of the Father and of Christ. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He mentions the two persons of Godhead, the Father, the Son. Both God, both possessing all wisdom, very, very clearly. So there's no inferiority between the Son and the Father. So the heresies that we're being taught were attacking the, 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 the fullness of Jesus. That's why Colossians uh, 2, 8, and 9, and 10 says, In Him you're complete. The sum total of Deity... Nothing is lacking, you're completing Him. The unity of the Trinity is God's revelation of Himself to man, about Himself and His Godhead, who is infinite and transcendent. So, infinite means He's eternal. Transcendent means that He's beyond our knowing Him to a full end. There are some things that we can understand clearly. There are some things that we can understand them partially. We don't understand it completely. All right? We, we experience it even in life. And I'll give you some examples. But listen to Paul. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6-10, Paul puts it this way to the Corinthians. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature. He's talking to the Christians. Now, the Christians, they were carnal in the Corinth, right? there were some that were mature. He says... Yet not the wisdom of this age, nor the rulers of this age, who are coming to nothing. So he contrasts the wisdom of God, the believer has, and the wisdom of the world, which today is wisdom stupidity tomorrow. Um, um, he says, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, mysterium, there it is. The hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So in that statement there, he's saying, if these centurion Romans, if these Jewish leaders could have looked upon Jesus and said, you know, that's God, don't mess with him by their rational, intellectual logic, they wouldn't have crucified him. But because they couldn't, because it's spiritually revealed by God, by his grace... They crucified him, accusing him of blasphemy because he did make himself out to be the son of God. Very, very clearly. Over his head was Jesus, king of the Jews. That means he's the promised Messiah. That means he's equal with God. That means he's God. Very clear. He says, but it is written. Listen carefully. I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered Into the heart of man, the things that God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us, the believer, through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. So by God's grace, there in 1 Corinthians 2, 6-10. Though the natural man may think you're crazy for believing that Christ is the God of this universe. The one who redeemed you and died for your sins and rose from the dead. And they look at it logically and they say, man, you are crazy. You, it is as real as as you sitting here. You know because God's spirit has made it alive to you and a fact to you. And he has turned on the light of the word of God. And yet you're both human. But the distinction is that you have repented of your sins. And now the spirit of God gives you this wisdom. doesn't make you better than them. We're saved by grace or faith. But I don't come to that conclusion because I'm so smart. That's important. God, through the Scriptures, does not go out of His way to prove the Trinity. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. He simply states the Trinity as a fact, just as He did regarding His existence. You ever read Genesis 1? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Boom. Period. He's not asking your opinion. He's not asking if you believe it. He's just telling you the facts, so that now you are without excuse. The problem lies in man's persistent demands to be able to understand everything about the unity and trinity of God by way of his intellect. And um, as he would understand mathematics, science, engineering. That's why so many people who are educated so often oppose the scriptures. I'm not saying everyone. Do you realize that the first scientists, if you go back in history, were Christians? And they were persecuted by the Catholic Church because they went contrary to the Catholic beliefs, yet they were teaching the biblical principles? And they were Christians. They saw science and the Bible as one. Man is finite, trying to understand the infinite things of God. There's a problem. So we must be born again. Then we come to the Bible with the understanding that this is God's inerrant, infallible word. His revelation. If he had not revealed it, we would never know that to be true. We just would never even think of it. And even if we thought about it with our opinion, it's worth absolutely nothing. God in his sovereignty has chosen to reveal to man a certain amount of understandable truth by the Holy Spirit. That... In view of what we understand by God's grace to be true, we can by faith equally be assured that what we cannot understand is just as true as what we do understand, as I said earlier. So based on what I understand clearly, I understand that what I don't understand completely is just as valid as what I do understand. Your children... They know certain things about you. As you're growing up, you're teaching and you're instructing them. They're knowing who you are, know about your heritage, know about your wife, about your husband, certain things. They know absolute truth. And there are certain things that you will tell them to do without giving them any evidence. And they trust you that you are telling them truth based on what they know about you and who you are. Same thing. No different. It's much like understanding electricity. You know, I understand that there's a generator somewhere, whether it be water in a dam or whatever it is, and there's transformers that are transferred out, and they come down to the neighborhood. Wires come down, and then there's a panel in my house, and there's plugs, and then there's a switch. And I understand that mechanic of it. And um, so I go to the wall, and I just flick it, and I receive the benefit, right? I don't go, well, let me see how this sucker works. Okay, this and that, and then... I don't have to understand all the intricacy of it to receive the benefit of it, Right? I'm not asked to do that. Now, does, does that electricity go through the wire? Or does it go around the wire? I don't know. But, but I don't have to know the intricacy to receive the benefit, right? And so it is with God. Two scriptures will help us to see this truth. From One from the Old Testament, the other one from the New. In the Old Testament, the first one is Deuteronomy 29.29. This is a very key scripture. Moses declared God would um, bring Israel back from her apostasy, despite the impossibility that it might seem. He says, the secret things belong to the Lord Yahweh our God. But those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. So in other words, what God has revealed clearly, we're to embrace, believe, and be doers of it. What we don't understand completely, we know it's as valid, it's as true, and I leave it there. But this scripture, the context is very important. Deuteronomy is the second giving of the law, not a different law, the same law to the second generation is going to go into the promised land. And in that context, God is prophesying through Moses that though they're going to go into the promised land and inherit it, they're going to apostatize from God. And yet God's going to bring them back. So the secret things belong to God. What He reveals, how He'll do it. If He does, then fine, we have it. If He doesn't, none of our business. He's still going to do it, right? But there's no impossibility with God. The impossibility is with me. And because I can't understand how He would do it, so I bring God to my level, and then I've got things settled, right? Because I'm God. That's crazy. That's crazy the word secret has the same its root to be hidden now the other example is john 3 11 through 12 jesus declared to nicodemus by the way most surely i say to you we speak what we know and testify what we have seen and you do not receive our witness he's not talking about jesus and the disciples our, it's a plurality. He's talking about the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And listen to what he says If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? So there are things that he's laid before us. We understand them as we're born again. We study the Word of God. We compare Scripture with Scripture. Scripture interprets Scripture, not the pastor interprets Scripture. Scripture interprets Scripture in its context. And the things that we have a question mark, we leave them there. So I never allow what I don't understand to destroy what I do understand. Clear? Simple principle. Alright? What I understand, I hang on to it. And I don't allow what I don't understand to destroy it. But based on what I can understand very clearly and very certain. That is the basis by which I know what I don't understand is just as true. It's God's divine revelation. The mystery of unity in the Trinity then is not contrary to reason. Um, let me give you some of historical background of the church fathers. Now, whenever we use church fathers, we use some... For our benefit. And we also point out to their heresies. Sometimes they're wrong. You say some things that are right on. And sometimes you say things that are not right on. And people will use you as a quotation on both of them. Okay? But the standard that what we are quoting from them is the scriptures. So if they agree with the scriptures, I may use them for a reference. And if they're not in accord with the scriptures, I will use the scripture to expose that false. Aspect, okay? But in this case, we're affirming the scriptures. Now, I've given you the foundation of the scriptures. Listen to what they say. Thomas Aquinas talked about the um, liberating effect of accepting by faith and revelation such doctrines as that of the Trinity, which cannot be attained by reason. He said that mere reason chains us down to what is merely logical, to what our own mental capacities can deduce. So again, we bring God down to our level. And since I can explain God perfectly and I can explain this thing logically on human levels, then I've really brought God down. That's wrong. Tertullian, one of the early church fathers in 165 to 220 AD, um, a theologian of the West, wrote in Latin and said in his important treatise against uh, praxis, um, a treatise on the Trinity. So many of these church fathers uh, combated heresy. He says, quote, this is unity in Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, three, but one nature and of reality and of one power because there is one God. So one God in three persons. When you think of the Trinity, and we'll, we'll, we'll show you this as we move along, you cannot think of addition. One plus one plus one, I come up with three. When you think of the Trinity, you must multiply. One times one times one is still one. But it's three persons in essence. It's the same. Augustine, the most influential church father, in 354 to 430 AD, said this, quote, No one should wonder and think it absurd that we should call the Father God, the Son God, and the Holy Spirit God, and that nevertheless we should say that there are not three gods in that trinity, but one God and one substance. Coming to modern times, Herbert Lockyer says the following about the trinity. Our narrow thoughts can no more comprehend the trinity then a nutshell can hold all the water in the ocean. That's good. (laughs) That brings it down to my level. It is so vast that we just understand the very basic things about the Trinity. Because you realize the Trinity is going to go back into a different form when we're all with the Lord. Then Jesus will be subject and God will be made all in all, Corinthians says. So that's another thing that we don't even understand completely. (laughs) Now, the Trinity is about above human reasoning, but not contrary to reason, as Henry Thysons stated. And let me read this. Revelation concerning a trinity of persons, related in one essence, contradicts no absolute truth. It is evident that as to wholly separated and individually identified subjects, one is not three. Nor are three one. Such is a contradiction. The doctrine of the Trinity asserts no such inconsistency. So if we approach it from the human perspective, we're going to come up with three gods. That's not what the Bible is teaching. Augustine declared his reason to the difficulty of understanding the doctrine. Listen to it here. And I do not doubt that all this was divinely arranged for the purpose of subduing pride by toil and of preventing a feeling of uh, satiety in the intellect. In other words, satisfaction, which generally holds in some esteem what is discovered without difficulty. And so what he's saying here is that he doesn't doubt that God did this in such a way that it keeps all of us humble. Because what we do understand about the Trinity is God's revelation, yet what we know about it, if in its entirety of what we can understand, it is so minute and is not by our own that we're all humble. No one can say, why are you so stupid? We do this all the time. If you're a wizard math, And you're trying to teach somebody and you're teaching, teaching after a while. You go, you don't get that? What, you stupid or something? Because we put ourselves at the level, see? It's the pride of man. Many illustrations have been used by people in uh, attempting to present the clear picture of the Trinity. But any illustration, if you push it far enough, it will break down. An illustration is simply a window of light to illuminate what is being taught. That's all it is, okay? You don't make doctrine out of illustrations. And many pastors do that. It's wrong. It's just the reverse. The illustration sheds light on the doctrine. That's important. But the illustration of an egg. You have the egg, the shell, the white, and the yolk. One egg. Three aspects, right? If you push it too far, it breaks down. You have the orange, the outer skin, the white inner skin, and the orange itself. Trinity. One orange. But I think the best illustration is given to us in Scripture. And it doesn't break down. I am body, soul, and spirit. I am an inferior trinity because I am created in the likeness after the likeness and image of God, yet I never have ever introduced myself to any one of you. Hi, this is Xavier Body, Xavier Soul, Xavier Spirit. I am an inferior Trinity because I'm created after the image and likeness of God, and so God is a Trinity. This is the mystery of unity, and the Trinity is revealed. In the Scripture, very, very clear from Genesis to Revelation. Now, next comes the unity of God. When we speak about the unity of God, we are um, referring to the oneness of the three persons of the Godhead, yet being one God which is distinct and opposed to the following. The unity of God is opposed to polytheism, polytheism polytheism simply means the belief in the multiplicity of gods the whole Old Testament background and even the New Testament you have the God of Baal the God of Molech the God of Asherah you have uh, uh, many different gods the gods of the mountains the gods of the valleys all kinds of gods okay uh, today you have all kinds of gods too people believe in themselves as gods people believe in Mother Earth people believe in you know the stars and uh, whatever Okay. It's also opposed to pantheism. Pantheism is a belief in that everything is God. Uh, some of you're familiar with this. You come out of the sixties, the seventies. You know, the age of Aquarius is all a new age. You know, everything is God. You know, the tree is God, the forest is God. You know, and the earth is God, and you know we're all God, right? Shirley MacLaine taught that in the 80s. Uh, She's up there in Malibu. You know, I am God. The uh, Christian community jumped on this. We are little gods. Paul Crouch and Pixie and Dixie and all of them. You know what I mean? Uh, They teach that even today. That we are little gods. Really? Wow. They fell for the same lie that Satan told Eve. Surely you will become just like him. God's just... Trying to keep you from your potential. Wow. It's opposed to tritheism, which is the belief in three gods. We've already made the direct statement that we don't believe in three gods. It's opposed to dualism, the belief in two gods, good and evil. Now, the majority of us who came up through the 50s and 60s, uh, even the beginning 70s, those started to decay and became more subjective. When we saw movies, when we read books, it was good and evil. You had the guys that wore the white hat and the black hat. And the good guys always won. That was it. Okay, But then beginning of the 70s, it became into relativism and subjectivism. And you could put the end to the movie and the book depending on what you want. And good didn't always win. So what we believe is opposite to dualism, good and evil. We are also opposite to one God, the belief of having no trinity, called monism. In other words, one God without a trinity. The Jehovah Witnesses believe that. One of them. Many others do. Okay? So we are opposed to that. So we want to make sure we make a distinction of what we believe according to the Bible than what other people may believe, contrary to the Bible. The scriptures reveal the unity of God and expound it throughout the Bible. Let me give you some verses. Deuteronomy 4.35 says, To you it was shown that you might know the Lord himself is God. There is none other besides him. Very clear. No other God. Moses is recording the Shema of Israel in Deuteronomy 6-4, a couple of chapters later. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord God is one Lord. The name for Lord, all capital letters, is the four letter called the tetagrammaton, big old theological word, to describe the consonants YHWH or YHVH. We don't know which one it is. Commonly translated Yahweh. Jesus' answered describes the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Mark 12, 29. He refers to it. Okay? God says through Isaiah, Before me there is no God formed, nor shall there be after me. Isaiah 43, 10. And that goes from chapter 40 to the end. I am God. There's nobody else. I've cruised up and down this universe, never bumped into another God. But if you do, tell me things before they happen so when they happen I can declare you God. No one ever took him up on it. None. Isaiah 44, 6 says, Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and the Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, the Captain of the armies of heaven. I am the first, I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. Now, how many times does God have to say something before we believe it? There's no other God. There are many that are called gods, but they're not gods at all. Paul says, to the Corinthians, Paul says, but to us, there is but one God. First Corinthians 8, 4, and 6. Paul told the Colossians, Christ is the image of the visible God, the firstborn of every creature. Colossians 1, 15. The word firstborn is prototokos. It means first in rank supremacy authority, not the first to be born. The Jehovah Witness used that to say that Jesus was a created angel. Absolutely blasphemous. First in rank. First in authority. God became man. Paul tells Timothy, for there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, 1 Timothy 2 5. So you have one God. Yet you have a mediator. And you have the Father. You can't have just one person. If you have just one person, and then us as the sinners, then how can you have a mediator? But if you have the three persons, then the mediator is possible, right? The second person of the Godhead. In Hebrews 1.6, to the Hebrews, the author referring to Jesus calls him the first begotten into the world. In Hebrews 1.6, in rank authority. John calls Jesus the first begotten from the dead, the first of his kind in Revelation 1.5. Jesus wasn't raised from the dead literally is raised out from the dead in a glorified body of the very same kind that you and I will have. Our body goes to the ground. Our spirit goes before the Lord. And when he comes for his church in the rapture, our bodies will be raised and they will be glorified on the way up. Those of us who are alive, if the Lord comes, we're glorified and we're going up. Okay? Now, there are also distinctions between the persons of the Godhead taught very clearly through Scripture. Again, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. There's a distinction between God from the Spirit. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the waters. God the Father, God the Spirit, but as we're going to see the word God, there is Elohim, a plurality. I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but we'll point that out, okay? There's God's Spirit in Joshua in Numbers twenty seven, eighteen. And the Lord Yahweh said to Moses, Take Joshua the son of Nun with you, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hand on him. So God is speaking, the Spirit is in Joshua. Two different persons. Distinction. The spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. First Samuel sixteen fourteen. Distinction. But the spirit of the Lord Yahweh departed from Saul, and a distressing spirit from the Lord Yahweh troubled him. You see, all spirits are subject to God. Often you read in the scriptures and God put a lion spirit in the mouth of the prophets, right? Who shall I send? Lion spirits, I'll go. Okay, go be a lying spear in their mouth. He's absolute control. There's a distinction between Yahweh and Yahweh or Jehovah, Jehovah, depending on how you pronounce it in Genesis nineteen twenty four, Listen carefully. Then the Lord, all capital letters, Yahweh, rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord. Out of the heavens, the Lord rain fire and brimstone and from the Lord. Two different persons. Two different persons. You have to read the text carefully, and not just assume things. God from God, Genesis nineteen twenty nine, and it came to pass when God <clears throat> destroyed the cities of the plain that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the Sodom, uh, the cities in which Lot had dwelt. So you see the distinction, not only from uh, the aspect of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, but from the very aspect of who is the one proclaiming and who is the one that's doing it. Very, very clear. There's a distinction between God, your God, in Psalm 45, 6 through 7, which is quoted in Hebrews 1, 8 and 9. Your throne, listen carefully, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. That's the Father. Speaking to the Son. Therefore, God, the Father, your God, speaking to Jesus Christ, has anointed you, Jesus, Messiah, with the oil of gladness. They're both referred to as God. Who is Jesus? God. Who said that? The Father. Simple. There's a distinction between Yahweh or Jehovah from Adonai. By Jesus. In Psalm 110, the most quoted psalm in the New Testament, um, one of the places quoted, Matthew 22, 44, it says, The Lord, all capital letters, Yahweh, said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies a footstool. Okay, let me read what it's saying. The Lord Yahweh, the Father, said to my Lord, Jesus Christ, sit at my right hand till you make your enemies a footstool. Two persons. Do you see it? And that guy's not talking to himself. There's a distinction between I and the Lord from me and Son in Psalm 2.7. You know the Psalm 2 is a preview of the second coming, right? It's a little preview. The real real to real is in chapter 19 of Revelation. And um, it's quoted in Hebrews 1.5. I will declare the decree... The Lord Yahweh has said to me, You are my son, today I have begotten you. I will declare the decree, the Father. The Lord Yahweh has said to me, Jesus Christ, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Very clear, two persons. Hosea seven. I from the Lord, their God. The distinction. Yet I will have mercy on the house of Judah, Will save, will, will save by them by the Lord, Yahweh, their God, and will not save them by bow, nor by sword or battle, or by horsemen. So once again, you have the distinction from the Lord, Yahweh, their God, yet I will have mercy. The distinction between the Father and the Son is very, very clear. Let me give you one more. Micah. 5 2. I've taken from Revelation all the way to almost the end of the Old Testament. Micah 5 2. Me from the One. But you, Bethlehem Ephrata, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the One to be ruler. To me is the Father. The One, the ruler, Jesus, the ruler in Israel. Who's going forth is from all, from everlasting, from the vanishing point. The Father is eternal. Is saying that the one ruler is coming is the Messiah who is also eternal. And he's going to be born through the incarnation in Bethlehem. You can't, you can't miss it. The epitome of this is when Jesus says, I am the Father, are one. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father who sent me. The one who sent him was the Father. The one who came was the Son. Two distinct persons. You can't miss it. The unity of God is throughout the Scriptures. We can go on and on. Go Scripture after Scripture. Very consistent. Lastly, then, you have the nature of divine unity. The unity of God is distinct from the unity of absolute one, as we have seen. But it is... Comprised of a compound unity, yet only one God. Again, going back to Deuteronomy four six or six four, the Shema of Israel declared: "Listen, hear, O Israel: the Lord our God is one Lord." The word for one in the Hebrew is the word "akad." It's a compound unity. That's what the word communicates. There is another word in the Hebrew. To express one in an absolute sense, it is the word Yahid. It's one, never implying or communicating any plurality or unity of compound. The most commonly and frequently used for God in the Old Testament is the word Yahid. It is used to express the oneness of husband and wife through their oneness, even though there are two, the two shall become one flesh. Genesis two twenty four. When you got married to your wife, your husband, two people, you become one flesh. You become one. You live in the same house. You take the same name. You're one till death do you part. In Genesis it says the people is one, yet they were many. In Genesis eleven six the Tower of Babel, they're one. But the word there comprises a plurality, all the people. The word one, a cad, means a companion unity of one, and is used for the man and the woman, as I said, becoming one, and also for Pharaoh's dream. Remember, Joseph said the dreams that you've had are one. He had more than one dream, and he says they are one. So there was one dream; it came in. More than just one dream. Okay? Again, the word is there. So the way the word is used is very clear all the way through. It's consistent. It is illustrated beautifully in the New Testament. Paul says, The one who plants and the one who waters are seen as one. Yet they are two. 1 Corinthians 3, 6-8. You may minister to your family member... And they think you're crazy. They think you've lost it. They think you are just a religious nut. And then someone 10 years down the road will walk them through the sinner's prayer. You planted, they water, and God gave the increase. But when you really examine the whole thing, it's God who did the whole thing. Yet it's one work of salvation. Paul says there are many members, yet one body, in first Corinthians twelve, thirteen through fourteen. John says Jesus is one with the Father and the saints in John seventeen, twenty-two through twenty-three. Paul declared that there is neither Jew nor Greek, bond nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ, Colossians or Galatians three, twenty-eight. We are one church of Pasadena, but we comprise many members. You have one body, but you have many members in your body. And God uses the illustration like that in the Bible, right? We can also see the nature of divine unity by the plural pronouns related to God, by God himself, in the Old Testament. Again, going back to Genesis one twenty six, listen carefully. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Who's God talking to? The horny toes and the lizards? A conversation between the Trinity. Let us make man in our image. The divine image. The inferior Trinity. Body, soul, spirit. He's not speaking to the angels. He created the angels. And they are ministering spirits. But they don't have a body. They appear in a body. Salvation was not made for the angels, but for fallen man. Man has become as one of us, he says in Genesis 3.22. So after the fall, the corruption comes in. Us. Again, let us go down. Genesis eleven. Seven for the Tower of Babel. Let us go down. Who's he talking to? The Trinity. God says, Whom shall I send? And who will go? Listen, for us, Isaiah 6, 8. He's talking about the Trinity. He's not talking about the angels. Isaiah says in Isaiah 40, verse 13 through 14, With whom took He counsels. Who? None. Isaiah 40 verse 13 to 14. Now, another way in which we can see the unity of God. Is in the plurality of his name. Elohim. The name Elohim appears 2,570 times in the Old Testament. That's a lot of times. The name El. E-L. El. In its root means mighty one or strength. The name Allah in its root form signifies to swear. In a similar form, in the Aramaic word, it means two. The name Elohim is adding a plurality, ending, and would attest to the compound unity of the three. In other words, anytime a Hebrew word ends in an I M, it's like our English word with an S, plurality. Okay? Seraph is a rank of angels. Seraph, singular. Serabim, plural. Cherub, singular. Other angels. Cherubim, plural. You see that consistency with the Hebrew? Elohim. Let me call your attention to a few examples in the scripture which record the name of Elohim. That we might note the location, the context is important. We begin with Genesis 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning, God, Elohim, created the heavens and the earth. What a great place to put the Trinity. Verse 1. From the very start, Elohim, plurality. The Shema that we've seen, 6-4 of Deuteronomy, Hero Israel, the, the Lord Yahweh, our Elohim is one, a compound unity. Yahweh is the covenant name of God with Moses and Israel. Exodus three fifteen, eighteen, 18, and many, many other passages. In fact, the name I am that I am is a verb form, which means to be or the becoming one. The idea is of self-existence and eternal. That's the concept behind it. And God wanted to be all he could be and could be to the people. But the Psalms tells us that they limited the Lord in the wilderness. We're the ones that limit the Lord. I'm not talking about positive confession, mind over matter, the way the doctrine of faith has been corrupted today in the church. But many times you and I limit the Lord because we trust ourselves rather than God. Or we bring our our life down to human rationalizing and reasoning rather than believing God. See, I don't have any problem believing God for the things that would benefit me. I just have trouble believing God for the things that would benefit you. Especially if they work against me. Because we're sinful. You see? I have no problem with God forgiving me for every one of my sins. On your side, that's a different matter. Are we together on this? Alright? We're bad to the bone. Absolutely. So God wants to be whatever He can be if we allow Him. So the name Elohim is a plurality in name and creative power. The word one again is Yahi, a compound Unity. As opposed to the absolute oneness. Yahid Akad, two different words. One speaks of a plurality, the other one speaks of absolute oneness. And the title Adonai means master. It's equivalent to the Greek word of Kurios, Lord, in Hebrew, in that. Adonai in the Old Testament, Kurios in the Greek. Master, controller, owner. So the Old Testament is more involved in giving emphasis on the unity of God because of the amount of paganism based on polytheistic faith. He was combating all the gods of the Old Testament when they went into the land. Destroy them all. Don't even look at them. Don't even ask questions about it. Kill them. And they didn't. They made compromise. And what happened? Get infected, right? They became corrupt. So, the closer we stick to the scriptures, the better off we are. Then we don't embrace the corrupt teachings of secularism, humanism, and nicéism. <laughs> you know, man is nice. Nice for what? You know, the, the original word nice doesn't mean good, it means bad. That word has changed in meaning, okay? Words do change in their meaning. Sometimes in their own generation, like our, our generation, but uh, so words have to be traced in their origin. So even as um, a man and a woman being two become one flesh, even as we are one body, yet many members of the church, even as so as God is one, yet a compound unity of three persons, this is the Trinity. It's taught very, very clear. Do I understand it completely to its full end, every matter? Nope. But I know that there is one God, three persons, an essence, an influence. And yet, I am an inferior trinity to the trinity that created me. A parallel. And so the nature of divine unity is throughout the scriptures. You can't deny it. There can be no doubt as to the unity of God throughout the scriptures about the oneness of um, the three persons of the Godhead. Yet one God, as we have seen, by the mystery of unity and the Trinity. By the unity of God and by the nature of divine unity. And it's found throughout scripture. You, You can't make this stuff up. Context. Observing, letting the text speak for itself, not reading into it. This is the crime scene, if you will. You court it off as a policeman and you've got to find the evidence within the crime scene. You don't go two blocks down unless that something inside there leads you two blocks down. You first, this is where it happened. So it's the scriptures that dictate what's in it. I'm to pull out what's there. Not read into what I have been taught or believe or think. That's why it's called exegesis. Inductive Bible study. You let the text speak for itself. Lord, thank you for your grace, your love, your goodness. Deal with our hearts. We thank you for your goodness. Pray for every person that's here, Lord, that you would just minister their hearts. And Lord, I thank you for them. Father, is anybody here who doesn't know you, we pray, or over the internet, or over the radio, that you would just deal with their hearts, that they need salvation through your Son, Lord. If you're here, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God has brought you here to be saved, to turn from your sins. God turns on the light to let you know that you're a sinner, guaranteed, if the gospel is being preached and you just heard the gospel. Therefore, now God gives you the choice where you want to spend eternity. It's your choice. You will never be able to blame God if you end up in hell. It's your choice. What you decide about Jesus will determine where you spend eternity. Not the good works you've done, but what you believe about Jesus and if your life reflects the life of Jesus. That's called faith. It reflects what's in God's revelation, the Bible. So if you see yourself as a sinner, this is your prayer to the Lord And he's going to save you right where you sit right now, or wherever you're listening, by grace through faith. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me, Lord, for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Fill me with your spirit. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you made that decision, we want to welcome you to the family. All we want to do is give you a Bible absolutely free. Share some important things for your girls. You'll be free to leave. We don't want your money. We're not going to bug you. We're not going to call you. We're not going to mail you a thing. My right, your left, he will give you that Bible absolutely free. We want to just give you a hug and explain to you, make sure you know exactly what you've done and how God has made you a brand new creature. God bless you. Thank you for coming. If you need prayer, you have questions, I'll be up here in front. If you accept the Lord, right there. Concert tonight, keep it in prayer. God bless.